Why don't you grab your Bible and turn to Isaiah? And if you're just joining us at Ethie Creek, uh, the way we roll, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. That's how we do it. Uh, we don't skip a, a verse. Uh, we don't skip a word. Uh, we just go right through the scriptures. So it's kind of cool. We got our job that's uh, uh, laid out right in front of us. We know what the next, uh, well, as long as the Lord should tarry, we know what we're doing here at Athey. We're going right through the Bible, verse by verse. So um, that's where we are. We left off in chapter 35 uh, of Isaiah on Wednesday night. And on Wednesday, you know, we, last week I actually covered four chapters Wednesday night, praise the Lord. Um, and uh, we'll try to do uh, quite a few more chapters this coming Wednesday, but I left off there uh, in chapter 35. Normally we take a single verse or a little small section of our upcoming Wednesday study. But this morning I want to take a look at a whole chapter, and uh, don't worry, it's only 10 verses. Um, and it's, it's a small chapter, which is kind of unusual for Isaiah. Isaiah's got a lot of big chapters, and it's a big book, 66 chapters in Isaiah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we, we don't usually do a whole chapter on a Sunday, but this, this chapter, um, I think it kind of speaks to where we are. And uh, it's, also, it's also a great and glorious uh, picture of something that I think is important. Uh, so we're going to take a look at this little chapter here in Isaiah 35. It was... Um, 244 years ago yesterday. Uh, of course, yesterday was 4th of July. And, uh, you know, uh, it was there on July 4th, 1776, the Second Continental Congress um, meeting at the Pennsylvania State House, is what it was called then. Now we know it, of course, as Independence Hall there in Philly. Um, you know, the, the, they would no longer be under British rule. Um, you know, with the Declaration of Independence, as it was written, um, these new uh, states took kind of a, a collective first step toward forming the United States of America with these perhaps most profound and really important words. Um, many of you know these words there, there of our Declaration of Independence. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident evident that all men are created equal, um, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, that's a, a great and powerful line. Some, some people have said those are the most important words in the English language, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But they are important, uh, you know, and, and you know, what an what a important notion for a nation to be founded on. And I like how they acknowledge, at least they acknowledge the Creator, um, that's what a lot of people aren't willing to do right now, of course. Uh, they don't acknowledge that, that there was a creator. They think everything just kind of popped into existence accidentally. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, but these guys were smart enough to know there was a creator and that people have, you know, um, rights. And, and among those rights uh, are equal rights, but also equal rights for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you know, if you ask me uh, of any country um, in the world's history, perhaps we are the country where we've taken a really good shot at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We, we've done a pretty good job attempting that as a nation. Um, I have theories as to why we have been uh, fairly successful. Now, some people today, of course, would say this is a horrible nation and things are, you know, bad. Well, uh, there is truth to that too. There's horrible things. We've done horrible things. We, we have a sinful past. Um, but at the same time, there is a reason why people still flood into this country. There's people, there's, there's people by the, you know, millions who have come and wanted to be a part of this country, no matter where they come from. It's kind of, in a lot of ways, 
uh, step up. No matter what, you know, the news might say or whatever, there's a reason why people still want to come here. And I think it's largely because of what we were founded upon, you know, this, this idea of um, being able to be free and pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The problem is the equality thing is in question now, of course, and, and you know, rightfully so in, in situations that we can talk about. Um, but how are we doing in this pursuit of happiness? I, I, I think it was so insightful for our founders to not say life, liberty, and happiness. Um, but they said, you're free to have the life, you know, the pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit. You can pursue happiness. Good luck with that one. It's almost like they, they put that in there as like, yeah, you can pursue happiness. But the truth is we have not found our happiness. Um, but right now, if you look at the news, uh, the front of, you know, Drudge Report says the, um, you yeah, uh, disunited states, I think is what they call it. Uh, and 4th of July, you see this flag burning in front of the, 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 the Trump Tower uh, in, in New York City. And, and you think, man, we're the divided United States and there's anger and there's, there's frustration. And, and you kind of wonder, man, what's happening? What's happening to this grand experiment that the United States has been for these 244 years now uh, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Well, you see, as a Bible-believing person, one of the reasons I think our nation has been somewhat successful, not totally, of course, and we've made some huge errors, but one of the reasons that this has been a good place for that experiment is because we started off with sort of godly principles. I know that um, the colleges and universities, they know oh, they weren't Christians, they were deists and blah, 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 but that's just not true. Uh, and we've done st whole studies on history in, in that, but I'm not gonna do that today. But I do want to um, talk about this because, see, we started off saying, man, it's, it's the Lord who's our help. The Lord is the one who we pursue. And as, as long as we would have done that, if that would have been our pursuit is pursuing Jesus Christ as a nation, I believe the Lord would have just corporately continued to bless us. The, the, the closer we have been to following the Lord and his word, it seems like people have been happier and the, the nation has done better. The further away we get from the Lord Jesus Christ, the more troubled we seem to be. And that's what, that's what we're actually tracking and seeing. Whether you want to admit it or not, it's the truth. Um, now, now, here's the thing. Uh, if you read the Bible, you realize Jesus is what we need because Jesus is life, he is liberty, and he is the one that brings us joy and happiness. Um, life, Jesus said this in John 14, 6, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, which is in heaven, but, but by me. Jesus is the life. Um, and Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. Jesus is what the, the country needs. If you want life, what about liberty? Well, I love liberty. Liberty comes from knowing the truth. Uh, it says in John 8, 32, this is what Jesus said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You know, um, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, you know, our Declaration, that has not really brought the freedom that we'd hope. Are we really the land of the free still? Um, you tell me if you're being forced. Uh, the guy that was, you know, thrown in jail for not wearing a mask uh, for churches that can't meet uh, right now. Are we really the land of the free? Are we really free? Um, I would say that our freedoms are being challenged right now. And if you're looking for freedom uh, in, in this country, uh, man, it's really only gonna be found 
ultimately in Jesus Christ. And you'll know the truth. And Jesus, we already know what the truth is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you gotta know the truth and the truth will make you free. Life, liberty, and then the pursuit of happiness. I love what Ecclesiastes 3.13 tells us. There it reads, um, it says, and also every, uh, every man that eats or drinks and enjoys the good of all his labor, it is the gift of God. Enjoying what we do and enjoying the fruit of our labor, it's not because of you being amazing, pulling yourself up and providing for yourself. Nope, it says even if you're laboring and doing a bunch of work, it's a gift from God when you're enjoying uh, life and enjoying and having happiness found in this life. It comes from the Lord himself. Um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The pursuit of happiness is found not in a situation, but in a person. I love Paul the Apostle. He wrote the book of Philippians there, and it's a book all about joy and rejoicing. In fact, uh, he says the word joy and rejoice over and over again. You think he's just having this happy fest in, uh, in uh, Philippians, but as it turns out, he's writing that book uh, during, uh, he's imprisoned by Rome, and he's there awaiting to be executed, basically. Um, who writes a book about rejoicing sitting in a prison cell in Rome? Um, well, Paul does, because his joy was not dictated by his circumstances. His joy was determined by a person, Jesus Christ. The joy of the Lord would be his strength, and it should be ours as well. So if you're really wanting true life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, like our declaration uh, hopes for, you gotta look to Jesus Christ, not this country. Um, this country, if we've looked to Jesus Christ, that's where we've been successful in those things. But where we've turned from Christ, the more frustrated we find ourselves and the more problems we tend to have. Now you say, okay, Brett, that's great. Uh, theoretically or religiously, if we all turn to Jesus, everything's gonna be great. But what do we do right now? Uh, what do we do with our country right now? Well, you know, when Jesus taught you and me to pray, do you remember one of the things he said? He said, you know, pray like this, you know, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things that we are supposed to pray for is the kingdom of God to come. And that's gonna happen. And if you were with us, and by the way, if you missed our prophecy update on Friday night, we did our uh, you know, first Friday. Every first Friday we do a prophecy update now. And um, make sure and go to YouTube, Athey Creek, check it out on YouTube. We did our prophecy update and it's there for, for you to uh, catch up if you missed it. But man, the signs of the times to me are very clear that the Lord is coming back soon. The rapture of the church is imminent. And I think it's gonna happen, I think, soon. And I also believe that the millennial kingdom is gonna kick into gear after a seven year period called the tribulation. And the signs of the time to me are just undeniable. Uh, we, we really could be living in those last days. Well, you say, bro, what if you're wrong? Well, if, if, if I'm wrong about that, notice I'm suggesting that it could be, it's, I'm not saying it's absolute, but I am saying, man, Jesus taught us that you'll know the times and the seasons. Uh, Paul told us that in 1 Thessalonians 5, you'll know the seasons, the time. And, and man, there's so much shaping up to, to show us that we really are at the end, it seems. Uh, and some people say, that's so depressing. No, it's so amazing because that means the kingdom of God is gonna be set up in the near future. Um, and I think that's gonna be glorious. How do you know it's gonna be glorious? Isaiah chapter 35. Here we see Isaiah, the prophet, 
you know, giving a word of what the kingdom of God, the millennial kingdom, a thousand year kingdom where Christ is gonna rule and reign. Now, just a real quick timeline for those of you that are kind of new to the Bible. Um, and by the way, there's good Christian people that sort of have disagreement on how this timeline unfolds. Um, so, uh, but we don't have time to go into all the various views. I'm personally very convinced as I read the Bible that it's pretty clear how it's gonna shake out. And here's the way I believe the Bible teaches. First, there's the rapture of the church. The next thing on the list of things to do is the church is gonna be taken out. Why? Because we're the bride of Christ and the bride is gonna be taken away to be up in the uh, heavenlies with the Lord and, and the kind of like, if you would, the marriage feast of the lamb. The Bible talks about that. So the rapture of the church is where we're taken up to be out of here. Meanwhile, while we're in heaven for seven years, seven years on earth is where God pours out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. That's coming. Man, you can see how sinful our world is. Just very quick glance at what's going on around the world. And you see the evil ways of men. And God is righteous. Um, and he will, um, you know, pour out his wrath. It's coming. People don't like to talk about that, but it's coming. Um, that's why you don't be on the wrong side of this equation. You want to be on the side of forgiveness, where the Lord has forgiven us. We'll talk about that in a second. But he's going to pour out his wrath. So while we're in heaven with the Lord, we're going to be seeing the tribulation on earth. And it's seven years, and there's a lot of stuff. Revelation 6 through 19 talks about that time period. But then at the end of that time, Christ returns. Now, that's the second coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ was when Jesus, you know, rode into Jerusalem on his little donkey uh, and people cried out Hosanna and that was his first coming. But he didn't come the first coming to rule and reign. He came to die for the sins of the world that they might be saved. Um, that was the first coming. The rapture is not a coming. That's where we are, meet him in the air. The Bible says we'll be taken up uh, to meet him. And, and then there's that, you know, um, the second coming at the end of the tribulation. So you got the rapture, seven-year tribulation. And then after that, Christ returns and rules and reigns from Jerusalem. And he'll rule and reign, the Bible says, for a thousand years. And man, that's going to be an amazing time. And the book of Isaiah talks about what that period's going to be like. And uh, I like the description here. Let's take a look at Isaiah 35. We're going to read the whole chapter. And, um, and that, that millennial kingdom just sort of defined there for us, and then we'll sort of break it down. It says in Isaiah 35, 1, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, 
but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, no, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall be not found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a glorious word this is. This is when the Lord comes and intervenes. You see, right now, as you look at the world, you might be filled with consternation and struggle in your heart, seeing the, just the stuff that's going on. And I know a lot of people are really frustrated right now. But, you know, what a, what a great word for you and for me today. Verses 3 and 4 says, Strengthen the weak hands. Do you feel weak? Confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, even will come with a recompense. He will come and save you. Christ is coming, and he's going to come with a vengeance. The second coming, he, he's coming as a, a you know, conquering king. The first time he came, he came as a humble carpenter. This next time he comes, he's coming to you know, right all the wrongs and all the nations of the world that are against him and against his people. He's coming to do business. And so what are we supposed to do? Comfort each other with this. This should be a great comfort for you. Uh, that's what it says, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to those that, that are of a fearful heart, be strong um, and fear not. I love this. This is a good word for you and for me today. And why should we be comforted? Why should we be strong? Why should we, we be strengthened? Because Christ is coming and he's going to take charge and we get to be with him. Christians, people have been saved. You see, the rest of this chapter kind of gives us sort of a description of what that time period is going to be like. And I've got five little compare and contrast of what we can look at about the millennial kingdom. If you're jotting down some notes, maybe you could draw, you know, draw these out as a sort of a, a map of what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. Number one, we're going to see the change when Christ comes and rules and reigns. We're going to see uh, it go from dryness to drinking. <laughs> dryness to drinking. That's what it says here. Um, there's going to be water and refreshment. It says here in verse 1, the wilderness, solitude, it's going to be the desert, and it will rejoice and blossom. The desert is in the world is going to blossom. By the way, did you know that in this world, um, one of the things that people have been concerned about for quite some time now is the desert, um, the desertification of the world. Um, you know, part of the world is, is turning to dust, and it freaks people out. The environmentalists, the global warming people, they've been sort of tracking this, saying the world's going down. Newsflash, the Bible's been saying that for a long time. The world will go down, and it will ultimately be destroyed. The Bible talks about that. Um, they just think we can save it, um, but we can't. That doesn't mean we should trash the earth and not be good stewards of the earth. Of course we should do that. That's important. But I think that we, uh, you know, try to deal with the problem in the wrong way. But as it turns out, parts of the world are turning to dust um, with lands of the size of Rhode Island becoming desert wasteland every year um, around the globe. About the size of Rhode Island every year, the, the, um, there's more dust. In fact, um, sending people fleeing to greener countries. The United Nations, uh, I call them the United Nothing, but uh, they say one third of the Earth's surface is at risk driving people into cities, destroying agriculture, and vast, vast swaths of Africa. 
They say 31% of Spain is threatened with just being overtaken by desert. China has lost 36,000 square miles to desert, <clears throat> which is this land the size of Indiana since the 1950s. Um, <clears throat> and, and so it's interesting as the, the world seems to be drying and getting more dusty and deserty, <clears throat> the Lord says when he returns, he's going to turn the dust of the desert into the blossom of a flowering, beautiful spring. In fact, it even says at the end of verse 6, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. I love that. Um, you know, and, and it's really basically saying that the Lord's going to restore beauty and refreshment. So it's going to go from dryness to drinking, where we're going to be refreshed from the Lord. Jesus said in John 7, 37, he said, in the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. <clears throat> Jesus is the refreshment that the dry, thirsty soul so desperately needs. <clears throat> and if you're thirsty, spiritually, emotionally, physically, Jesus is the one who satisfies your thirsty soul. And when he comes and sets up his kingdom in the millennial kingdom, there's no more dryness. It's going to be refreshed and clean and blessed. There's going to be rivers of living water. Jesus is the answer from dryness to drinking. I love that. Have you ever been just really thirsty? And then you finally get that drink of water and you're just refreshed. That's the way the millennial kingdom, it's going to be a cool glass of water. Uh, after we've lived in this dry and thirsty land for a long time. So number one, from dryness to drinking. Number two, from weakness to wellness. We are sick. Now uh, you say, yeah, Brett, we're in a pandemic. Of course we're sick. Uh, and, and you know what? Yesterday and the day before, spikes in the number of cases of coronavirus. And, you know, the COVID-19 is taking over. People are all upset and freaked out. But, you know, this has been our problem for a long time. We are sick. We have disease and we have problems. And um, we're not only physically sick, we're spiritually sick. We're sick with sin. We've been sort of hit with the plague of sinfulness. And because of that, we're weak and sick. Um, and, and I love what verse 5 and 6 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, so the blind will see. The ears uh, of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as the heart or as a deer. Um, the tongue of the dumb will sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out, streams in the desert. So the idea of the healing of our bodies, there's going to be a healing that's going to take place in the millennial kingdom from weakness to wellness. By the way, let me ask you, do you believe in healing? Man, I hope you do. Um, the, the Lord, is, his name is Jehovah Rapha, the God that is able to heal our bodies. Um, he is the great physician, um, and he's, he wants to heal us. And we can pray for healing now. I hope you're not afraid to pray if you're sick. Um, and I think we should be praying for healing of this coronavirus um, in the world, you know. And, and the Lord is able to heal us. Uh, he, he does that today. When you pray that prayer, believing that God is the one who's able to heal, man, um, did you know doctors even believe uh, that faith uh, it actually works? They're not saying they believe in God. They're not willing to give it that one. Uh, not all of them. Uh, there, are, there are some doctors that are good ones, but there's a lot of doctors that think they're God, and they're the only one who can heal. But I, I found this study that was interesting. A survey conducted by the American Academy of Family Physicians shows that 99% of doctors 
believe that a relationship exists between faith and physical healing. <clears throat> Recently, more than 1,000 healthcare professionals at Harvard Medical School um, examined the connection between spirituality and healing. Doctors' faith in faith was bolstered by a California study of the effect of prayer on recovering, uh, recovery from heart problems. <clears throat> About 200 heart patients were assigned to Christians who prayed for them. While the equal number, you know, a, control, a controlled group, received no known prayers. Neither group knew about the prayers, yet those who received prayer developed half the complications that were experienced by those in the control group. A similar study by the Dartmouth, um, Dartmouth uh, Medical School examined the effect of prayer on healing when patients prayed for themselves. The death rate six months after bypass surgery was 9% for the general population, but 5% for those who prayed for their own healing. But as it turns out, those that were deeply religious um, patients, um, none of them died during the period of the study. Um, that, that comes from uh, the Associated Press quoted in Religion in the News. But all that to say, um, doctors see the connection that faith actually has. Now, we know it's not our faith that heals us, it's the Lord. The Lord is the one through faith that heals people. And so as Christians of faith, we can pray for healing. But, you know, the ultimate healing is going to happen during the millennial kingdom. When Christ comes and rules and reigns, man, it's going to be awesome. The, the blind will see, the, you know, the, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. Like, it's going to be a radical change uh, during the millennial kingdom. And so that's going to be something to look forward to. Does your body sort of start to fail you? The older you get, man, you start realizing, wow, these old bodies start to fail us. And guess what? We get a new body. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, so from dryness to drinking, um, from weakness to wellness, that's going to ha be habit. You know, I get a little, uh, I'm, I'm just maybe a little cynical at sort of the, the word wellness. Um, wellness, uh, you know, I've, I remember uh, learning about that in college. They started talking about wellness back in those days. But, you know, you go to Walgreens to get, you know, some Advil and they say, be well at the end. Uh, you know, they said that for a long time. I don't know if they have to do that anymore, but I thought, you know, the only real wellness that the world's going to get is really through Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, I don't mean to be cynical, but truthfully, we're a dying people because of sin, because of our own sinfulness, death, disease, dying. But Christ is the one who brings healing. And so it goes from weakness to wellness. So number one, dryness to drinking. Number two, weakness to wellness. But in the millennial kingdom, number three, we'll go from disorientation to direction. Um, are you lost? Do you know what to do, where to go? Um, sometimes it's not so clear where we should go, but I love the language here in Isaiah 35. It says that there's a highway. It's called the highway to holiness. Man, I love this. It's a big highway and you're gonna know where to go. And the people that are gonna go are the people that are redeemed. Um, you know, and we'll talk about them in a second, but it says here in verse 8, and a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over. In other words, the people that have not been cleansed from their sins aren't going to be walking on the highway to holiness, but the people that have been redeemed there, and um, it's just going to be glorious. Um, you know, uh, even if you're uh, kind of dumb, you'll know where to go. It's the highway for the holy. Even though you're a dumb holy person, you'll still know where to go. I don't know about you, but sometimes in this life, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Now, what I love about the Lord, even as he spoke through Isaiah the prophet, is he said, listen, 
I will be that still small voice and I'll whisper in your ear whether to turn right or whether to turn left. He said that in Isaiah 30. He wants to give us direction. And I love what we have. We've been given tools. The Bible says the word of God, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Lord wants to give direction to you now. And that's glorious. I love being saved. I like being a Christian just because of that. The Lord directs you and he gives you a peace in your heart when you're supposed to go this way or that way. But in the millennial kingdom, there's going to be just a very clear direction. It's not going to be mysterious. It's not going to be questioning or wondering. Our sinful tendencies aren't going to get in the way. We're just going to see this highway to holiness. And all who are saved, all who are redeemed are going to be on the highway. And it's going to be clear and it's going to be glorious. Um, I look forward to that kind of direction. Um, are you lost right now? Pray for the kingdom to come, for the Lord's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, because it'll be really clear. That's going to clear everything up when Christ comes and rules and reigns. You know, uh, there was a guy who was a traveler who was always kind of accustomed to getting what he wanted, having his own way, giving out orders. Uh, but he was late to an important meeting, but he took a shortcut of these backwoodsy roads and didn't know really where he was, and he got kind of lost. Well, there's a little kid in overalls, barefoot, walking down the side of the road, and the guy pulls over and he kind of says out to him, he says, which way to Dover? He gruffly sort of barked out to this little kid. Kid looked at him and said, I don't know. Well, which way to Brighton? And the kid said, I don't know. Well, is there anybody who can tell me the way to to Dover? Little kid shrugged his shoulders again, a little embarrassed that he didn't know, but he said, I don't know. And he said, you know, you don't really know that much, do you? Well, the little kid looked up down the road and saw his little, little house where his family lived, his brothers and sisters, and playing out in the front yard. And, and he looked and shrugged his shoulders and just kind of smiled. And he said, sir, I ain't lost. <laughs> it's, it's true. You know, you, you know, you and I as Christians, we're not lost. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And we may not know a lot, but we know Jesus. And we know where we are. And we know where we stand. And we know where we're headed. The world thinks they know so much and they're barking out orders and telling us what we should do. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Social distancing, um, figure it out. You know, who should be leading our country and elections and, and the uh, economy and all this. Stuff. People think they know stuff, but you know what? I just kind of smile and shrug my shoulders. And say, I ain't lost. <laughs> uh, I, I love that we have the direction right now from the Lord, but during the millennial kingdom, we're just gonna be so locked in on the highway to holiness, we'll know exactly where to go from disorientation to real clear direction. Number four, number one, from dryness to drinking. Number two, from weakness to wellness. Number three, from disorientation to direction. Number four, from reprobate to redeemed. Reprobate, yep, there's a word we don't use as much, but it's a, it's a word the Bible uses, from reprobate to redeemed. Um, First of all, let's talk about reprobate. Um, the, the, uh, the idea is where a person is sort of given over to um, evil. When, they, when they're, they're kind of a person who's given their life, their mind, their heart to just evil action. And, you know, um, there in Romans chapter 1, it talks about those that were uh, refusing to um, follow God. And that list there is pretty long of, of those people. But they, they, you know, they, they were neither thankful to God, they wouldn't give glory to God. And it says, so verse 24 of Romans chapter 1, it says, wherefore God gave them up to their uncleanness 
through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. That's like earth worship and, and people worshiping earth and mother earth over God. Um, and, um, and it says they worship the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. For this cause, God gave them up to their vile affections for even their women did change natural use in that which was against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which is meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then being filled with, and there's a huge list, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, deceit. And it goes on, a long list of things. And, and see, the Lord says there's a person that just is so much evil and moved toward evil that God says, okay, I'm going to give you over to that reprobate mind. But you say, Brad, what if I'm a reprobate? Um, should I be afraid? Well, that, yeah, but good news the Lord can take the reprobate and redeem them. You see, the word redeem now, that's, that's the word that I love. To be redeemed means you've been sort of bought back. In Romans 1, there's a reprobate group of people who say, we will not follow God. We will not go his way. We're going to do our own thing. God says, okay, I'm giving you over to your reprobate mind. But there's some of us who said, we understand that we're reprobate and we're sinful, but Lord, we want to be forgiven and we want you to wash us and cleanse us, clean us. You see, the Bible talks about it in a financial sort of transaction. Um, when you and I sinned, which we all have, the Bible says there's a cost there, a financial cost, if you would. And that price, the price of your sin is death, but not just dying, being buried underground. The idea is eternal death, um, where eternal, eternal torment in hell. Brett, are you one of them preachers preaching fire and I'm sure I am, because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that the sinner is going to, the wage of sin is eternal death in hell. <clears throat> if you read Revelation 20, it shows, <clears throat> excuse me, where Satan and his demons are thrown into a place of eternal torment. But anyone who's not written in the book of life, the, the not saved, not Christian, not believing in Christ, um, they're going to be thrown in there too. And that's a place you don't want to go. But those are the people God's going to give over to their own lusts and desires. If they don't want to follow the Lord, he's not going to make them. But the Lord says, but I love you so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, what's that all about? Giving is the payment. You and I owe a debt we cannot pay. He paid our debt, which he did not owe. That's the thing. That's why we call it salvation. And that's why we call it redemption. It's a doctrinal word of Christians that we throw around. I mean, I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, we sing. Redeemed means you've been bought with a price. So we sold ourselves out to sin, the price of eternal death, but Jesus came and paid our price when he died on the cross, was buried, and then rose from the grave. And he says, anyone who will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, Jesus, that he did that for them, for their sins, their sins will be forgiven and they will be saved. That's why we love the gospel of Jesus Christ so much, because we didn't deserve anything. We didn't earn it. Jesus did the work of salvation for us totally and completely. And anyone who would confess with their mouth, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, tells us how you're saved. You confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, 
the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, forgiven, not going to hell. People present Christianity like it's something you should do to get glory, glorious things in this life. You should become a Christian and you'll be victorious and have happy living and you'll be wealthy and healthy and <clears throat> no, they get it backwards. Um, we are headed for hell, so we need to be saved and become a Christian. That's the bottom line. And as it turns out, you will be blessed after that when the millennial kingdom comes. I can't promise that if you become a Christian right now that this life's gonna be glorious for you. Um, a lot of the people in the Bible that were Christians, Jesus and Paul and Peter and all the apostles, man, they, they were Christians, of course, uh, but did they live victorious lives? Not really. They were kind of hated, persecuted, and tortured. Um, <clears throat> you'd say, that's, that's, I don't want to be a Christian if that's what happens. It's, it's not about this life. <clears throat> it's about the next and what happens to you after you die or when the rapture of the church comes. And when Christ comes to set up his kingdom, man, he's going to save and bless those that have been redeemed. Now back to our, our text here. This is why I'm talking about redemption uh, versus the reprobate mind because those that are on the way of holiness are those that have been redeemed. Um, did you see that? It says there in verse nine, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Um, by the way, I love this, this idea of the lions not gonna be there. There's, there's two lions you should know about in the Bible. The first lion is um, called the roaring lion. First Peter 5, 8 says the, the, the Satan is a roaring lion, the devil. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to mess you up and he's evil. But the second lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah who's gonna come and rule and reign in Jerusalem during his kingdom, that's Jesus. Uh, so this, there's gonna be no lion or any ravenous thing that's gonna go and, and, and the redeemed of the Lord, that's us Christians, who were once reprobate, but now we've moved from that to redeemed. We've been purchased with a price. Um, God loves you because he paid a price for you. And he, he says in Acts chapter 20 that the, the, the leadership of the church was to care for the congregation because they, the Lord purchased that congregation with his own blood. Man, that's the price that was paid. So, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna be redeemed if you're a Christian. You're either in a, a state of reprobation or you're in a state of redemption. And I would ask you, which one are you? Have you accepted the work of Christ? And have you been saved from your sins? This is what the Bible teaches. It's very clear on this. So from reprobate to redeemed, what a glorious truth that is. So from dryness to drinking, from weakness to wellness, from disorientation to direction, from reprobate to redeemed. But number five, from sorrow to satisfaction. I love this one. From sorrow to satisfaction. This uh, verse 10 used to be an old song we used to sing when I was a little kid. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Uh, come, to, come with singing unto Zion with everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Remember that old song? Some of you guys remember that one. Uh, they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a gr great verse that is. I've got that verse marked in my Bible because it's such a great thing. Therefore, the ransomed of the Lord, that's that financial thing that took place. Satan took us and Jesus paid the ransom. That's another way of looking at redemption. And um, the Lord shall return and come to Zion. Zion's an old name for Jerusalem. 
and he shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy. People are looking for joy, but it's so fleeting. You might find joy in a moment, but man, you find yourself bummed out again shortly thereafter. But when Christ comes and rules and reigns, there's gonna be everlasting joy upon your heads. That's why we pray, oh Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because there's gonna be an everlasting joy. And it says, and sorrow, uh, they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing. Do you sense people sighing right now as they watch what's going on in the world, just kind of watching their cities burn, (sighs) watching statues being turned over, (sighs) watching people angry and upset, everybody's just sighing and sorrowful, but that's going to flee away in the millennial kingdom. Everybody's going to be filled with gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing is going to flee away. Man, I love this. What a glorious time the kingdom of God's going to be from sorrow to satisfaction. Are you sad right now? Are you one that's given to depression? Don't forget to remind yourself of what your future holds. Um, you might have tough things in this life. You might not all have the answers to every situation you're facing today. And we get caught up in this moment of this puny little life on earth. And you might have a dark outlook about what's happening to you right now. You might not have a lot of hope about your situation that's ahead of you right now. But don't forget, the kingdom of God is coming. Oh, but Brett, I'm so nervous. I'm such a huge, big sinner. Join the crowd. You know, um, the funny thing about sinfulness is, is um, we're all sinners. And you might think you're worse than everybody else, but I think everybody's pretty bad. Um, some of you got caught. Some of you got busted. Some of you have been found out, maybe more than others. But, but the truth is, we're all wretched, miserable sinners. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, but guess what? While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. That's you. You and I, we qualify for that one, ungodly. I've never had Satan accuse me of being godly. Brett, you're just so godly. No, he accuses me, Brett, you're so ungodly. And I love it because I say, yep. And that's who Christ died for. He died for the ungodly. The Bible says, agree with your adversary. That's the way I agree. I agree with Satan. I am a sinner. And the Bible says Satan wants to accuse you day and night and remind you of your sin. But you can say, but you know what? I've been redeemed. The, the ransom has been paid and I get to be forever with the Lord in all, all of eternity. So no matter how bad it is right now for you, life has been a vapor. Time is short and the Lord's coming and we're gonna be able to live with him for all eternity in heaven. From dryness to drinking, from weakness to wellness, from disorientation to direction, from reprobate to redeemed, from sorrow to satisfaction. How soon is this going to happen? Well, again, if you missed the prophecy update uh, Friday night, check it out, because man, the days, I I go over a bunch of reasons why I think we're living close to the last days. But what's going to happen? I want to show you just one more thing, and this is probably a review for some of you that are you know, old school Bible students. But turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, then we'll wrap it up for the day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Remember I was telling you the timeline of events in, uh, you know, the way it's going to be, the rapture of the church while we're in heaven for seven years. Seven years on this earth is tribulation where the Lord's wrath 
is going to be poured out upon the world. And then the millennial kingdom. That's what we're reading about in 35, Isaiah 35, the kingdom, a thousand year period of ruling and reigning on the earth. Now, um, here is where we read about the rapture of the church. And this is what, what, the reason I want to share this with you is one of the things that we're told in Isaiah 35 is, say to them that are fearful of heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with a vengeance. So one of the things we're supposed to do is say to each other, don't be afraid, fear not. The Lord's coming and he's coming with a vengeance. And Paul jumps on this and says the same thing. He tells us, instead of saying fear not, he says, comfort one another with these words. What are we to be comforted by? First Thessalonians chapter four. It says in verse 16, First Thessalonians 4, 16, it says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God in the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. This is the rapture of the church. Some people say, Brett, the rapture is not even in the Bible. Did you just read that? Well, the word rapture is not used. It says in the English here, um, those of us that are alive and remain shall be caught up. Greek word is harpazo. The Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible uh, is where the word rapture comes from. Rapture is a Latin word. So call it whatever you want. Rapture, caught up, harpazo. But this is where it says we're going to meet those who have died before us. They'll rise first, and they are rising first as we speak. But then we're going to meet them, the Lord and them, the people that have died before us, who are believers, will meet them, be caught up in the air together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Once the rapture of the church happens, you're going to be with the Lord from that point on and forever. It's all good from there. The rapture of the church is all good from right there. That, that's the next thing on the list of things to do. That's why Paul says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together with these words. Now, chapter five goes on, and sometimes I think this chapter break is unfortunate. You know, the chapter breaks weren't in the original letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Um, so it would have just kept on going. They would have just read after saying, comfort one another with words. But, verse one of chapter five of First Thessalonians, of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they, not us, when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As travail upon a woman with child, they shall not escape. But you, brethren, who's the brethren? The church. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are children of the light children of the day. We are not in the, of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. What are we supposed to do? While we're waiting for the rapture of the church, it says we're to watch and be sober. We're not children of the night. Now, Jesus talked about this. He said, men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. But we as Christians, we love the light because we're children of the light. We, we're, we shouldn't be in the dark on these things. The world is in darkness. They don't know that the Lord's coming, and they're going to be surprised when he comes, like a thief that comes to your house at nighttime. That's what he's saying. But we'll not be taken that way. Why? Because as Christians, we're watching for his return, for the rapture of the church. 4 verse 7, they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunk are drunk in the night. But let us, who are of the day, that's the church, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, 
and the hope of salvation. Check this out, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the tribulation is called the time of the wrath of the Lamb. We're not appointed to that. Why? We're going to be raptured, taken up before God pours out his wrath. We'll be raptured. Rapture before wrath. That's what the Bible teaches. So it says, we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation, verse 9, who died, verse 10, for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Verse 11, again, wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even as also you do. I conclude with this because really the message of Isaiah 35 is comfort each other. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. Your God comes with a vengeance. Isaiah is reminding believers to, to remind each other, don't be afraid, be of courage. And, and then the same thing that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another with these words that the kingdom's coming. The rapture of the church is ha- going to happen, and I believe it's going to happen soon. The signs of the times, it, you don't know the day or the hour. The Bible's clear on that, when it's going to happen. But it says of the times and the seasons, 1 Thessalonians 5, it told us we will know that because we're children of the day. We've we got our eyes open. We're watching what's happening in the world. At least we should be. And so because of that, we should be sober following the Lord, looking for, watching, and waiting for his return, and also comforting each other. Hey, I know things seem bad right now, but the Lord's a coming, and we can be waiting for him. This week, while people are complaining about the COVID thing and, and, you know, the potential of clamping down again, have you heard about that? They're talking about closing down things again um, as the cases spike, uh, apparently. But, you know, as Christians, rather than getting caught up in the complaining and the murmuring and, and the conspiracies and, and uh, whether it's even real or not, or should we wear masks or not wear masks or whatever, instead of getting all caught up in that, wouldn't it be great if we just said, man, if, you, if you're talking to a Christian person, comfort each other and say, man, the Lord's coming. This is just, these are just more signs of the times, of the days we're living, and I believe we're going to be taken to be with the Lord. We can be happy about that. The Lord's coming just to remind each other of that. Now, if you're talking to a non-believer, and let me talk to non-believers, and this is what you need to talk about, is this is not a time to be a non-believer. The days that we're seeing with everything that's happening out there right now, you know what's so amazing is you and I, we've got a lot of things to talk about, about this is what the Bible says is going to happen. And I don't have time to go into all that stuff, but the last three prophecy updates, uh, you know, June 5th, uh, and July 3rd, and I forget what the uh, May one was, but once a month, uh, we, 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 we've been covering all these things that are signs of the times. And man, it's very obvious if you just take a look at what's going on in the world. We're living in those days. So when you talk to a non-believer, you got to say, this is a time to be saved. This is a time to accept the work of Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. Um, here's what you need to do. You need to acknowledge your sin, and the, the idea is repent of your sins. Repentance means to just do a, an about face. doesn't mean you're perfect. If, if repentance means you have to be perfect, then none of us can be saved. But repentance means you say, I'm a sinner and I acknowledge my sin before God. Um, repentance. Then confession. Confession to salvation. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That's that payment that you've got to owe. But Christ paid it for you. If you take it, if you receive it, you say, Lord, I accept the gift of salvation. I believe that you died on the cross for me, and I believe you rose up from the grave. And if you confess that and believe it in your heart, the Bible says you're saved. 
you're forgiven. Is it really that easy? Jesus did all the work for you. That's why salvation is so easy, is because he did all the hard, heavy lifting. If that's you, would you just pray that prayer? I can help you right now. Right where you sit, you can just pray this. You just say this from your heart to the Lord. Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Just say that right now. And I also believe that you died and then you rose again from the grave and that my sins are forgiven. And then just thank the Lord for saving you. And then ask the Lord to help you walk with him. Um, until he raptures the church, until he comes. That we just walk with the Lord and that we don't get sucked into the world and its system, but to be apart from this world and be different and be changed. The Lord will do that and he'll save you. You're not saved by your good works. You're saved by grace, undeserved, unearned favor God wants to show you. He loves you so much. It's there for the taking. Why wouldn't you take it? Hey, if that's you and you just accepted the Lord, would you let me know? I'd be really interested to know. I won't, uh, you know, hunt you down and give you a bunch of trash emails and uh, a bunch of weirdo stuff. But if, if you want, let me know. Say, I just accept the Lord. You can text the number at the bottom of your screen and just say, new believer. And I'll know, wow, that's cool. Somebody just prayed that prayer of, of faith. Let, let us know. It, it does our heart good to know people are listening and people are accepting Christ. If there's anything we can do to help you, get you a Bible or um, let us know if there's a way you can, you know, text us. You can call us at the church. Um, link up with us on social media on our, you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd like to help you if we can. You know, the rest of you, may the Lord give you that comfort and that hope and that peace that he's coming soon. And like Isaiah, strengthen the feeble hands and encourage the weak knees um, because the Lord's coming. Like First Thessalonians, comfort one another with these words that we're not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation. And we have the rapture of the church to look forward to. Comfort one another with these words. And that's a good word for the days we're living. You know, on an Independence Day in 1776, um, there was a big transition in a new country. And a lot of people thought we were going to fail. The British, for sure, thought they were, they were going to dominate but we kind of showed them. Uh, <laughs> but you know what's interesting is, I, 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 if you're a sort of student of the revolution or a student of history, I sort of see a comparison of what's going to happen. You know, we get all excited about the 4th of July and we celebrate Independence Day, but think about the change that's going to happen in the millennial kingdom when Christ comes. Talk about a declaration of independence. <laughs> You know, the world is going to be independent from all the history and all the other nations, and Christ is going to rule. And it's not going to be a democracy. Um, it's going to be, or a republic. It's going to be a theocracy where Christ rules. And it's not going to be a dictatorship. It's going to be a loving theocracy where God's going to bring everlasting righteousness. Um, that's the Independence Day worth celebrating right there. So be thinking about that. Be hopeful for that, because that's going to be a good day when Christ comes and rules and reigns. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you so much for your word and the encouragement that we find here, that we can find comfort in your word, Lord, knowing that truly we have the hope of heaven and eternal life to look forward to, to be with you in your, in your kingdom. And we do pray, Lord, as you taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so bless my brothers and sisters on this day after the 4th of July, we look forward to the ultimate Independence Day when you come, free us up from this world and its system. Give us hope until that happens, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.